welcome to Fails to Wins. Nice to have you this evening. Hello, great to be here. Awesome. So um, I found you, I think we were talking earlier on Go Wildcast. For any of my listeners um, that haven't tried it yet, we talked about last podcast. Go Wildcast is a platform where you can meet um, podcasters and either be a guest or a host. It's a bouncing baby business, but it's amazing. And that's how I found awesome Michael here. And this is also our season three of resiliency. And so um, I don't want to give away his whole story. Yeah, I'm gonna let you expound on it. But basically, he was probably one of probably is going to be having talked yet one of our favorite podcast stories all season. I just feel it in my shando. I feel it in my bones. Uh (laughs) No pressure, Michael. (laughs) No pressure. But I really feel like um, my listeners will gain a lot of value um, because this resiliency season is much needed, especially post-2020. And we do love to give our our guests lots of value. So without further ado, Mr. Michael. Hello. Hey. Hello. So yeah, that's a lot of pressure. It seems like whenever I speak, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or do anything people like build it up and I'm like now nah, great now I have to live up to that so I, I used to do teaching I used to do teaching and and, uh, and coaching and stuff and uh, once I did a few classes for people then they'd start giving me this intro I'm like what if I what if I'm really bad what if nobody likes me <laughs> <They're> um, problem <laughs> so it's it's worked out pretty well so far so um yeah I do appreciate you asking me to be on here it was uh it was relatively quick. I, I want to be, I want to eventually have a podcast sometime, but I wanted to open up myself to be a guest. Yeah. I figure it, it's a good way to get your name out there. And, and I'd like to do more speaking, of course, post 2020. Oh yeah. Um, can't get a lot of people to come out and see you. So I thought it was a good way to go. And I think you guys messaged me and like a day after making my profile. So if I don't get any more, I'll at least say that worked really well to get me uh, to get me on here. So, um, so resiliency. So what do you want me to start? So here on Fails to Wins, we ask like our, our famous questions, um, you know, reflecting on any failures or disappointments or missteps in life. And would you, what, and what happened that you could turn that into a win or a success for yourself. Some people have a couple stories. Some people have one big story. So we just leave it uh, open playing um, field. And then also at the end, we also want to know how we can find you, how we can reach out and and things like that. But we're definitely going to start with the fails to wins part. So what has happened or what um, situations have arise where you took that situation and turned it into a success? Okay. Okay, so mine, um, I guess I wouldn't necessarily call it a fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've checked out some of my my stuff, my mm-hmm. um, relatively new, not super active website, um, because uh, we moved, we also moved in the middle of 2020, so like wow. it's a little bit of crazy. That, that was, yeah, had your hands full. Yeah, yeah, we did, we did, but it, it was a good thing, it was for my wife's job, so we, um, so yeah, we moved from Arizona to Colorado, so Depending on the time of year, we went from one weather extreme to the other. So it kind of put a, a few things on hold. Yeah. Um, one of them uh, advancing this a little bit. And also I'm in the mid, I wouldn't say I'm in the middle. I'm in the first quarter of writing a book. Nice. I love the uh, way you put that. Yes. Yeah. I, if I say I'm in the middle of it, then there's a lot of pressure. They're like, hey, you're halfway done. Yeah. Um, 
but writing a book is hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it has taken me about, oh gosh, six or seven years just to get to this point because I've changed it so many times. Yeah. But, uh, but I think I've, I'm finally on the right track. So, yeah. um, so mine, you probably saw it on the website. Mine really isn't a failure. Mine's more of a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that's why this may be part of the resiliency part. So, yes. um, so my story actually starts in... We mentioned before we started recording here, I think that um, we were talking about kids. So I mm-hmm. have I have six kids. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for um, coming up on 10 years, but we each oh, had wow. we each had three kids yeah. uh, when we got married. So it's kind of a Brady Bunch thing, except we had one more boy than, yeah, we have four boys and two girls. So it wasn't nice. truly the Brady Bunch, but it's close enough. Almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, speaking of, I guess the 10 year uh, milestone. So my wife and I got married in October of 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, my kids were older. I have the older three and she has the younger three. And um, my older two, uh, and they're twins. So, and they were uh, at the time 19. So Justin and Tanner were 19 at the time. We got married, like I said, beginning of October. So October, um, we got married on October 8th. The, so six weeks later, so we're talking the Monday before Thanksgiving. Um, and I won't go into all the details because we could be here for hours. Um, but we ended up taking uh, Justin, who is the older twin by one minute. Um, <laughs> We, uh, we ended up having to take him to the emergency room because um, he had kind of a, he had had some pain um, already kind of in his back and some other places and it got fairly bad that evening. My wife is, um, she works in organ donation and transplant but she's a nurse by trade. So she could kind of tell by his face, you know, what pain is really bad and what pain is just normal so she kind of mm-hmm. checked him out you know checked his breast sounds and stuff and he was breathing a little shallow she was like we're we're going to the emergency room we're going to the hospital yeah so uh, we made it to the hospital um didn't actually make it home till the next day but what we found out um when they ran all the tests and did everything is that justin was diagnosed with um they don't call it stage four anymore they call it stage three b i think but it's basically stage um, they didn't stage it yet, but he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Mm. So um, kind of a shock for everybody. Yeah. He was 19 at the time. So they had to tell him everything first before we yeah. even got to go in the room and find out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, my son, who's fairly shy, 19 year old boy anyway, um, was having this uh, very um, personal conversation with a female doctor uh, me, I think I was the only guy in the room. So his his biological mom was in there. His stepmom was in there. Um, so so long story short, six weeks into our marriage, my son's diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Uh, so we spent probably the next uh, we spent the next few days in the hospital. We actually celebrated Thanksgiving at the hospital. We brought food up there and they let us go in a little room there. Yeah. Um, Cause he had to have his first surgery then. Yeah. And then they decided, um, then once they get the main tumor out, 
Um, that's when they decide, okay, how are we going to attack the cancer? How are we going to do this? Meanwhile, we're kind of gathering all this information because um, if we're like most people out there, I mean, you think testicular cancer, you think of Lance Armstrong, you think of all these famous people, but you're, they're a little bit older. They're not, mm, you know, mm-hmm. teenagers. Yeah. Um, so we found out pretty quick that it's a very common cancer. It's actually the most common cancer in men age 15 to 40. Mm. So that was kind of a shock for us as, as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Justin got to come, he got to come home after that. And, and, you know, we're going back and forth with, you know, do we need to take him somewhere to another state to get treatment or were they going to do it in Arizona? And while we were waiting for the, the diagnosis and what they were going to do first, um, there was a day where Justin started to, I guess he said his legs started to feel funny, um, which kind of a tingling sensation. So we, his, um, his primary care doctor had been his doctor for, since he was about two years old. So mm. he's like, when I close the office, I'll, you know, I'll come over and we'll check him out, see if everything's okay, see if we need to do anything. Um, and like during that day, he kind of stumbled a little bit. So he was feeling, he was kind of dragging that leg a little bit. Um, we finally got a hold of a doctor, told him what was going on. He's like, I think you need to get him back into the hospital. So the hospital was about a half mile away from us. So it wasn't too bad. But um, so from the time we left the house, um, you know, he walked slowly into the car. By the time we got to the hospital, a half mile away, um, had to lift him up and put him into a wheelchair uh, because he had lost um, feeling from about mid stomach all the way down. Mm. So one of the tumors that he had was compressing his spinal cord. Mm. So lost feeling in his legs. Um, So that became another whole deal. That was another night in the hospital, transferred to another hospital. Mm. And his second surgery now in about two weeks, he had to have surgery on his spinal cord. Mm. Yeah. So we go through that and and he's actually, he was actually in that hospital for, um, until after the first of the year. So we did our, we did our Christmas and all that stuff in the hospital and did the surgery and and that's not something where you know they remove the tumor and it's like Ooh, you can walk again it's a long long road to retrain your body to to do what it used to do yeah so um so justin he started physical therapy all that type of all that type of stuff he did chemo he was doing radiation um he was actually uh, kind of fast forward through the next few months, but between say January and June, um, he progressed to the point where he was walking with a cane. So he was getting, he was getting the feeling back. He was, um, he's already asking if, you know, we could modify his car so he could drive it and all this kind of stuff. So um, he was actually doing really well in June. And actually, oddly enough, on my birthday, um, I'd been taking him back and forth to do radiation treatment. And he, they kind of scan you at the beginning and then they do the treatment and they scan you at the end to make sure it's working. And that last, coming up on the last treatment was on my birthday. So took him to do that. We were running some errands. And uh, by the time we got home, the doctor had called the house. And my wife took all those phone calls because once they start speaking medical, I was kind of like, here you go. You'll understand what they're saying more than me. Um, 
and they're like, well, you don't have to tell your husband if it's his birthday. She's like, no, he needs to know. So what they had seen was um, while some of the, the spots had disappeared, they saw more. Mm. So, um, so it looked like more tumors had come back. So that started a whole nother round of tests, different things like that. And um, about a month or so goes on where they're trying to figure out what to do. And we actually even consulted with Lance Armstrong's doctor who is in Indiana. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, Justin was about ready to go under um, like a stem cell treatment and some other stuff. And um, the doctor in Indiana, Lance's doctor was like, send me all his charts, send me all this stuff. You know, I want to take a look at the case and see what's going on. I said, but if you're thinking of doing this treatment, tell them to stop. Mm. What was the treatment we were going to start? He's like, no, tell them to stop. You know, don't do anything until they hear back from me. Um, but uh, so we, I rushed around, picked up a bunch of stuff. We FedExed it off to Indiana. We're like, we'll go on a plane. You know, you want us on a plane? You want us to fly out there? Whatever it is. Um, but uh, kind of to bring that full circle, what happened was that's the doctor, actually, Dr. Einhorn, uh, Lance Armstrong's doctor is the one that called us and had to tell us that um, and not only had tumors come back, but they, um, they called a malignant transformation of a tumor. So it came back more aggressively and it was untreatable. So mm. he's actually the doctor that had to tell us that it was terminal. Mm. Um, so we kind of, um, spoke with his doctors in town, um, asked the questions that you're never supposed to ask a doctor, like, you know, how long does he have? Yeah. Um, what do we do here? And at the time they said probably 90 days. So mm. we planned out some things. Um, he actually got to go meet his favorite band. Um, yeah, we got to go out to LA and, and he got to meet uh, Lincoln Park, which wow. is really cool. Yeah. Super nice guys. Yeah. Um, we got to go on the field for a Diamondbacks game and a bunch of the players came over and talked to him. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, 90 days was actually not 90 days. 90 days ended up being 31 days. Mm. So in August, um, August 20th is actually when Justin passed away. Mm. So in less than a year, so we had kind of a, a crazy first year of marriage. Yes, I bet. Um, and, you know, all these kids blending together and getting yeah. close and, and yeah. connecting and, and dealing with that. So the mm. resiliency of, I mean, all my kids. Oh my gosh. Was amazing. So um that that's the beginning of my story i guess mm -hmm. you put it that's mm -hmm. that's um that's the tragedy part of my story yeah um and i think i did a little research on on you guys and what's going on and and it's all right if i get into the faith portion of it mm -hmm. is that okay? oh it sure oh it sure is it sure is okay okay um because that's probably what kept us sane yeah during the entire thing yeah. Um, you know, actually, I was leading a men's group at my church. When mm -hmm. we, um, actually, I was attending a men's group at my church. Let me take that back. I was mm -hmm. attending a men's group at my church when this all started and stopped going because we were spending so much time at the hospital. Yeah. Um, we happened to be home on a Wednesday night when this stuff normally, when I would normally go to that. And my mm -hmm. wife's like, you should go. 
you know, you should go see everybody. I can tell you want to go. Um, just go there and, and say hi to your group. Uh, and this is the first men's group I'd ever been a part of. So I walk in, uh, the entire room goes silent. Mm. Um, the guys that were at my table, um, you know, came over, you know, made sure I was okay, but mm. they stopped mm. everything they were doing. So, mm. and at that point, I have like 50 guys mm -hmm. um, just formed a circle and prayed. Mm. And prayed over me and my mm. family and my son. Yeah. That's so amazing. that was one of the more powerful moments we had. But yeah. um, what also helped us, and it'll kind of lean into what I'm, my book and what I'm doing now, is um, we saw a lot of people, and, and you see a lot of people that when something bad happens, whether it be somebody dies or uh, something like, hap like that happens, that they walk away from the church. Yeah. Yeah. I lost somebody. I don't know why it happened. You can't mm -hmm. explain it. Um, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So once we knew that Justin was, was terminal, that yeah. he was going to die, uh, my wife and I, we used to always go upstairs and had a little chair that we would sit in whenever we needed to have big conversations with each other, yeah. not in front of the kids or if we, yeah. or if we just needed to break down with each yeah. other, we would go upstairs and do that. Yeah. Um, and we made, um, we made an out loud conscious decision not to be angry with God. Mm. That's so powerful. Because we'd seen it happen so many times. And I mm -hmm. just, um, in in retrospect, you, I, we go back to it. And that was just such a big moment for us. Yeah. To know that when it happens, it's going to be okay. And we're not going to blame anybody. Um, we're certainly not going to blame God for it. Um, you know, this is going to happen and we need to be ready for it. And it, and it helped us talk to our kids about it too. Ooh, yeah, um, it, it really did. So um, if we if we go back to that date in August, so we had that conversation with each other and kind of did that. That was probably the beginning of August. So it was a few weeks before he passed away. Um, but I think you've been on my website, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have it up right now. Okay. So I wrote a blog post on there called Fear is Just a Word. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And there is, if I, if I remember correctly, there is a picture there and that's why we'll need to direct people to the website, I guess, at some point, there's a rain cloud. Mm -hmm. there. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's right. ominous. So, okay. So this may be the tissue portion of the podcast. Okay. <sighs> so focus here. Yes. Um, the picture okay. of here. Okay. Okay. So, um, for the better part of those 19 years that Justin and his brother um, were together, um, on their birthday, it would rain without fail, which is kind of odd sometimes because uh, their birthday is in September. So Justin passed away about three weeks before his 28th birthday. Mm -hmm. But it would always rain. Not if it wasn't on their birthday, it was on the day we celebrated. So, you know, if it was on a Thursday and we had a party on Saturday, it would rain on Saturday. So it got to the point where we're like, oh, yeah, this says it's going to be clear outside, but it's probably going to rain. Um, so on the day Justin passed away, um, Justin passed at home. We had him in hospice. Okay. Um, so he passed at home on, um, on August 20th at about 1030, give or take. So between 10 and 11. 
Um, actually, uh, hospice was on their way over to check on um, when it happened. And um, I mean, just the interesting part about all that, Justin waited until everybody came to see him. Um, so um, all the kids had said goodnight to him the night before, which didn't always happen. Um, um, all of us had talked to him. He had one aunt that hadn't come up to see him yet. Um, she came up that morning and saw him, um, probably around 8.30 or so. Um, Justin, Ashley, and I'm sure you hear this a lot where even though they can't speak or they don't know what's going on at the time because he wasn't very coherent, they still know what's going on around. Mm -hmm. um, and gosh, for probably the last three days, um, either I was in the room with him, his biological mom was in the room with him, or my wife, his stepmom was in the room with him. But somebody was always in there. Most of the time, it was either me um, or his mom. Um, the one moment when neither of the biologicals were in the room um, is when he passed. Mm. It's almost like he didn't want us to, to see it. Um, yeah. But my wife could see his breathing getting really labored and she called us into the room. And, and um, so we were actually in the room when he passed, but that was about 1030 and people started to find out. So family was coming over to the house and um, got people were dropping off food and, and all these things. And once everybody kind of started to go home, so it was just us and the kids and um, my sister had just gone home and she lived about three or four miles away from us. So pretty close to us. Um, it absolutely started pouring mm. at our house. I mean, torrential rain coming down at our house. So I called my sister, I'm like, um, and the kids wanted to go outside and play in it. All the parents were just, you know, we were pouring tears because it always rained on his birthday and now it was raining. Um, so the kids went out and played with it, but I called my sister. I'm like, is it raining in your house? She's like, no, it's actually clear at our house. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so that picture, mm -hmm. um, we actually got two versions of it. So some friends of ours um, sent us um, this picture, um, but I also ran into somebody in a cancer support group about a month or so later. And when I told the story about the rain and all this stuff, she said, you know what? She stopped me afterwards and she said, what was the day again? And I told her it was August 20th. She goes, I was driving down the road. She goes, and I actually had to stop. She goes, I pulled my Jeep over and took a picture because it looked like it was raining on somebody's house. She's like, there was this huge cloud and then just looked like rain was coming down. Like it was raining one specific spot. Mm. Um, it was, that's the picture. Oh and so God. that rain, um, that like, rain that's coming down oh my God. basically on you know, oh, in our house. neighborhood, it was on our yeah. house. Um, oh my God. That yeah, so crazy. that was that was a pretty powerful moment for us, um, for us in general, because, you know, it um, it allowed us to know, okay, that, he, you know, he's home, yeah. he's okay. Yeah. Um, great teaching moment for our kids yeah. to say, you know what, that is, that's your brother telling you that he's okay that he's not in pain anymore, mm -hmm. he's fine, you know, and play in the rain because that's him. Yeah. So. Um, oh my God. Yeah. 
Sorry, camera. When I tell, I've I've done that before, like doing a presentation where nobody could see my face, and I'm fine there. But when I yeah. see people, um, yeah. So that's why that picture is so powerful to oh us, is because you know, you know, I run into somebody that I didn't know prior to that. She says, "Hey, you know, I have this picture, and, and our friend sent us. So we got it like from two different views. So it's pretty amazing." Oh my god! Yeah, um, that is amazing. So again, so that is um, that's my tragedy. Um, one of the things you'll see on some of my social and on my website is mm -hmm. I talk about what I call the tragedy trajectory. Mm, I did um, see that. Yeah. And, and the whole meaning behind that and, and what I talk about when I talk to people is, is when something like that happens, you can go one of two ways. You know, you can take it and just do this and just kind of become a shell and, and not want to do anything or talk to anybody or do anything about it. Or you can take that and you can make a difference and start doing things. Mm -hmm. um, so um, what started for me was I actually found a charity very, um, we were looking for something to do after he passed away. People like what should we do? Should we do flowers? Yeah. Um, we found a charity um, that oddly enough is in Colorado when I live in Colorado now um, that educates um, men, young men, uh, but men of all ages about testicular cancer because I was like, you know, we didn't know, we didn't know that age group. So I, I found some stuff and had probably a two hour conversation with um, the lady who started it. Um, and at the time, her son was diagnosed when he was 14. Mm. And at that point had, had beat the cancer. He, so she started this foundation and knew pretty much right away when I talked to him, like, okay, I, I want to be a part of this. I'm not ready now. Yeah, I need to get through this process, but I want to yeah. be a part of it. Yeah, and she's like, you know, whenever, whenever you are ready, mm -hmm. I'm a phone call away. Yeah, um, and it probably took six to nine months, um, and we corresponded, and she sent me things that I could hand out to people and talk to them about it because we still wanted to educate people. Um, but that was kind of the start of me going completely out of my comfort zone because, um, you know, had a career, you know, and was, you know, doing fine, um, just doing what I did, comfort, you know, things that I've been yeah. doing for a long time. Um, but I had never in my wildest dreams, and, and I had asked people like when I was changing jobs, what should I, you know, what should I do? What would I be good at? Uh, I would get teacher a lot. And I'm like, but I don't like speaking in front of people. Why do I want to be a teacher? Um, well, uh, what happened was uh, one of the, they had an event here in Colorado. Um, and my wife and I came out for, it was right around, um, it was actually right around the anniversary of the first anniversary of Justin passing. And, you know, I had said, I'll go out and I wanted to talk to school. So I wanted to go out and talk to young men, which is talking to teenagers about stuff like that. That's an experience in itself mm -hmm. um, because you really have to capture their attention, yeah. um, which I did. I mean, I started doing it at my son's old high school. Um, okay. So it allowed them to kind of put somebody to it. It's like, no, somebody that walked these same halls as you did had cancer and probably didn't even know it. 
So, mm-hmm. um, but that came a little bit after this. So we, we come out here and they had this big event that was going on. It was an MMA event. So an octagon and people, you know, doing their thing in there. And like the day before, uh, Kim, who runs the organization was like, they want us to talk, you know, in between, um, like the big fight and one right before it. And she goes, and I, I get really nervous. She goes, I can't talk. Do you want to do it? So there's like 500 or so people here. Um, testosterone filled guys, you know, cheering people getting beat up. Um, I was like, you know what? I'll do it. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So, so you about you took out the here. plunge. I took the plunge. <laughs> so I get up. Um, so I get up on stage and, and they do a lot of, t- uh, we have a lot of tongue in cheek stuff like uh that they use for marketing so i have on a t-shirt that says that says love my nuts and it's got the name of the foundation on it okay catchy people like to buy it because it's funny we get to pass along the message so Mm -hmm. you know i i I go up into the octagon and you hear i love mine too and you know you get all this stuff so uh, but it was the first time that i realized that i could capture a room that I could command a room with my story because I started, hey, this is the organization. This is what we're about, um, you know, and told them a little bit about the statistics. And I said, um, but that I said, that's one reason I'm here. I said, the other reason I'm here, and I held up a picture of Justin. And I said, I'm here because we didn't know, you know, we didn't have this information. And my son died from this. Yeah, my son passed away. That room went from being really loud to quiet like that. Mm. Because, you know, it uh, all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, so then people could hear me a little better because I silenced the room with that. Yeah. Um, you know, finished my talk, came down, you know, I've got people shaking my hand and patting me on the back and all this stuff. It's like, okay, nerve wracking, crazy. Um, but I did it. Yeah. And you got your message across. And I got my message across. Yeah. So that kind of became the journey of me, you know, changing even what I did for a living. So, you know, I went into working in training, um, you know, so I was up in front of talking to people every day. Then I started my own social media consulting business. So I was training people um, I worked a lot with realtors. So I went from this person who was, you know, and they say what 90% of the population has an insane fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in that group of people that hated, you know, was totally fearful of public speaking and loved it. Yeah. And now I was like, I want to talk to people. I want to go out and do this. Um, you know, I'll go in and, and, and talk to these teenagers about, you know, their body parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it actually, and don't get me wrong. I would, I would change things in a minute to get my son back. Um, absolutely. But I allowed that situation to tell me, you know what, if there's anything you should be doing or anything you want to do, you need to do it now. Yeah. You need to, you know, don't be afraid to take that step. Worst, some, worst thing that can happen is somebody's going to say no, yeah, or you're not going to connect with, you know, one person out of a hundred 
in an audience. Um, so it, it truly showed me how to come out of, of my comfort zone and say, you know what, if I want to do this, I'm going to do it. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that kind of became, like you say, I changed jobs. I, I changed all of this and, um, I mean, I, I can't even describe it. And now, so when I see people like, I'm not sure, should I do that? You know, should I change jobs? Should I do this? I was like, but what's holding you back? Yeah. And I said, yeah, if, if live like you don't know what it's going to happen tomorrow because you don't, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't wake up that day in November thinking that we were going to be in the hospital that day. And they were going to tell my son that he had cancer. Yeah. You know, we didn't, you know, we didn't wake up that morning knowing, you know, 10 months later that Justin was going to die. Yeah. So you can't not take those opportunities and and turn it into something else. And that's why I kind of preached that whole trajectory that it's it's your decision. You have to make it. And there's mm-hmm. going to be people that just, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, but if you use that as a way to motivate yourself, um, it's, it's a huge difference. And, and I mean, that's, a, that's kind of led to um, that and the whole thing we were talking about um, church and stuff like that, you know, I, I was at that men's group. That was my first men's group when he was diagnosed. You fast forward a year from there and I'm teaching, you know, a men's group. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm teaching eight or nine men's groups since then, you know, you know, helping these guys, telling my story, but also, you know, going through the stuff in the Bible and, and, you know, if it was anything that had to do with resiliency or, or how to overcome stuff like that, then that, that became in my wheelhouse. So then I could really speak to it from experience. So, and, and it's kind of, like you say, I was, that I was writing the book. Um, I, I changed subjects so many times, you know, it was, okay, I'm going to write about, um, you know, I'm going to write about my son, just tell his story. Yeah. So people know about it. Um, and then it was, you know, I'm going to talk about like uh, getting out of your comfort zone, kind of like what we're talking about now. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And I would start it, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. and not work on it. You know, and I'd be, oh, I got a better idea and I'll do this. So I probably went through five, four or five ideas and if I finally went back to that moment that we talked about where my wife and I had that conversation. Mm. Um, so the book that I'm working on now is, and I think it can speak to more than just losing somebody. Um, but what I'm working on now is actually about it, when you have a crisis of faith. And I've been able to do the presentation for a couple, for a couple people. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know if that'll be the, that's the working title is crisis of faith. Um, but it's how not to lose it, um, when something bad happens. So Mm. it's, so I can lend the personal experience of us not, um, having it take us away from the church and our faith and all that, um, and help other people not to experience the same thing. So, you know, and, and it could be anything. It could be losing a loved one. It could be just, you know, life stinks for me right now. Um, you know, why should I keep doing this? 
you know, why should I keep going to church? Why should I believe in that? Why do, you know, one of the big things in it is, and you hear it all the time is, you know, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, and that's all, that's always thing you hear. And, and you would even have people, um, you know, we have people you know, ask us, you know, how do you deal with that? You know, you're good people. You do this. Why do, why did something like that happen to you? Uh, and that's not what it's about, you know. Uh, you know, one of the best things I heard is that um, when it comes to people of faith, bad things happen to good people so that those good people can show everybody that they can make it through. That you can have a faith that's up here and something bad can happen and you still keep it up there. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I landed on. And I've been able to uh, at least pound out a couple of, of chapters on so yeah. far is is just dealing with with not letting stuff like that um ruin your faith you know bad things going to happen to bad people too bad things are going to happen to everybody yes okay yes um yeah so i, I had another great thought that i was going to share and yeah please do poof yeah no, just it completely exited my brain. So it'll, it'll come back. To remember it. It, hopefully it will come back. You um, gave me a lot to, to chew on. So like I said, I have my notebook when we were, um, before we started recording and I like was scribbling down stuff. And usually that's Aisha. And I, I hate that she couldn't come this evening because she is, oh, no. man, you, the both of us together, is something else, but she's the type <laughs> that we'd be talking. She'd have like a thousand notes in the background. Oh, no. <laughs> that's me like but um so I was thinking back to that moment when you and your wife sat down in the big chair so if I had to title your book I would call it the big chair and that and that can mean so many things like yeah. oh my god both both physically and on the spiritual level like the big chair and what I love about that and I also jot down the power of agreement you guys had not even been married a full year yet and here you guys are in the trenches together as man and wife, blended family. There's a lot of things to cover. And you're dealing with a, a tragedy right before your eyes. And so I think that's one of the beautiful things about establishing faith and having God in your marriage. Because it can be any situation, whether it be a, a death of a loved one or any other tragedy, um, but establishing, okay, this is what we're going to believe. This is what we accept. This is this is our lighthouse in the storm. You know, mm -hmm. that is so powerful because it lets you know when everything's crazy, this is what we're going to go. This is our foundation. Don't lose it. Yeah. This, no matter what, it can be rain, hail, sleet, or snow, death, life, whatever. This is what we're going to profess and proclaim out loud. And then we can go from there. It'll, you can build from there. And so I, I just, I just love that. Um, I will say, even in my own marriage, I've been married um, seven years now this year, and that's one of the things. Even before my husband and I got saved together, it's so, it's so weird. Like we said, hey, we're gonna have God in this thing, and so we, we've also, you know, experienced child loss as well, and a bunch of wow. other things. And, and that's one of those things where we said, okay, at the end of the day, that, that is our lighthouse you know, our faith, our, you know, our family and everything else will come, but God is the, um, he's, you know, he's, he's there. He's our foundation. 
yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask, did you use the book of Job at all while you were doing your book? So, um, the, he's a great example. Are, so he is. And I, um, I always felt very humbled by anything like that because I had a friend who I knew from high school and as we were going through this, he's like, you know what? He's like, you, what you're, how you're dealing with this. So it just reminds me of the book of Job. And I'm like, that's, you know, I'm like, that's, that's, that's the book of Job. This is the guy who <laughs> went through all of this stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm just me. You know, I, I just went through this one thing. Um, but that being said, when you get to the book, there are references to that. I mean, cause I even, um, and I remembered what I was going to tell you. So, um, mm-hmm. but one of the, one of the portions of the book, um, and I was able to present this to my new men's group here, um, kind of as a test run, um, was, you know, I went through, okay, these are the Bible verses that when you lose somebody, these are the Bible verses that people are going to quote. And this is what people are going to tell you. They're going to say this, and this is how you're going to feel. You know, it said, it said, but you, you can't fault those people for, for saying those things. Those are, those are your go-tos, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, you know, you, that we will all experience struggles and that, uh, and that God's, God is with the brokenhearted. So I said, this is what you're going to feel. I said, you, you have to resist the temptation to say, you know, yeah, I know, I know. Cause that, that's what people are going to fall back on. I yeah. Said, but you have, but said you're going to feel that way when they say them, especially if it's close to the to the tragedy. If it's close to the event, people are going to say that. You'd be like, that's great. That doesn't make me feel better right now. Mm-hmm. I said, you have to let that time pass. Yeah. Because then you're going to go back to those same verses and say, oh, okay. You'd be like, you know what? He does, you know, he does stay near to the broken heart. Um, you know, it is through trials that we get stronger. So all these things that you hear and you just like, you know, I, I just, you know, almost to the point where you're like, okay, I don't want to hear that verse again from somebody. Yeah. Um, but you, you jump a year down the road and you're like, man, what a great verse that is. Yeah. It, yeah. So, so that, that was, and that's a big part of, uh, of the book that I talked about. And, and it kind of leads into one of the other things I talked about in there was, um, what do you say? to somebody that loses someone. I guess this impacted the group that I told, uh, that I presented to here was that you get, a, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, you get, again, you get kind of the, the canned responses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I encourage people to, uh, and, it's, and it's a hard habit to get out of just to not say those things anymore. I said, the best thing you can do for somebody if they, if they experience any kind of loss is just to say, um, I don't know what you're going through right now uh, because I haven't been there, but um, what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. You know, that could be picking up the kids and taking them to school. That could be, it's not, because again, we hear, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, we, we hear those things over and over again and it's not a bad thing. Um, but a lot of times those of us that have experienced a loss, we don't know how to answer it. You know, it's like, we're like, thank you. Um, where sometimes what we, what goes miles further, somebody saying, you know what, if you ever need to talk, I'm here. Mm-hmm. If you ever need something, I'm here. 
something actionable. If you don't feel like getting out of bed um, and something needs to be picked up, can I do that for you? What can I do to help you make it through today a little bit better? Yeah. um, So that's what I was going to tell you earlier that I couldn't remember in our conversation kind of uh, wrapped around back to that, but it's, it's, um, yeah. I, um, I think that's so awesome that you even mentioned that. What do you say to someone who's, who's lost someone? And that can be, that should be a class just by itself, like a whole grief, grief etiquette. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's not a bad thing. It's just that we don't know any better. We've just grown up saying, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for your loss or it is. It's just part of our society. It's part of the vernacular. We just say that. And we've never learned to say, what can I do to help you today? Yeah. Um, one of my grandmothers was a minister. Not was, is a minister. She's still living. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up, I had to go to funerals with her and watch her, you know, comfort people in all stages of loss. And that's one thing that I did learn from her is one thing that means the most to people half the time when you're going through loss, sometimes you know what you need, you know, you're, you're just all over the place. But the fact that someone doesn't say, I'm sorry for your loss, it's kind of like a pass off, you know, okay, I said my, my thing, but, you know, just to go out your way and say, what can I do something actionable? That means a lot because it means as I'm getting myself together, when I think about those things, oh, I can text or call that person because they said they would do something for me they would help me so I I don't have to do that mundane task because I'm still going through a loss you know just being of service it doesn't cost you a thing just your time and love it you don't have to buy you know the world like it's not expensive just being available even if they never use you just the fact they know if I need that person I can use that person yep exactly exactly and that's a yeah that's a lesson that I think a lot of people um, I don't, they need to learn, but they don't know that they need to learn. Yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, a hundred percent of the time when I tell people that they're like, oh, okay. You know, and then they're probably going to their head. Oh my gosh. You know, so-and-so last week, I said, I'm sorry for your loss. I feel like an idiot now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never too late to, to check in with that person. And yeah. Say, hey, how are you? What can I do for you? Mm-hmm. How can I help? Do you need to talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it's never too late to do that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that's one big thing that people will pull when I finally get the book finished. I'm hoping that's <laughs> that's one big lesson that people will pull from it. You know, among some of the other things we talked about. So I think that um, yeah. just just off of our conversation alone, I've already heard four books already. I know you're working <laughs> on the one, but I've already heard four from you just sitting here. So there we go. <laughs> we're gonna have to talk away from this to see yeah go through these ideas yeah well I mean so um Aisha and I we've published a couple you know already and um kind of going to the whole book that I understand there's one that I'm working on now that I've been working on since last summer but I've uh released a couple since and what I found that helps me out when I'm writing is if I do have a ton of stuff that kind of goes off tangent, whatever I'm doing, I'll still outline it and I'll make it its own ebook, whether it be long or short, I'll just get it out the way. I I found that um, I was always trying to go off the top of my head. And now I have this, just, I have a huge notebook that's dedicated just specifically to that. So I just started writing down, okay, these are going to be tentative names for the chapters. And these are the points that I want to hit in there. 
and actually putting together um, the the PowerPoint that I did for my men's group helped a lot too because it helped mm -hmm. me organize those thoughts because otherwise they were just coming in like crazy. It helped me say, okay, this is where I can talk about this, and this is the chapter where I talk about that. And, um, I even got really good feedback from uh, one of my former pastors after we moved here because mm -hmm. um, he's published a couple of books and nice. um, gave me just super valuable advice because I just started, you know, I sent him like the first chapter and he sent it back to me. He's like, I know what you've been through. You know what you've been through. He says, but you need to tell us, don't expect somebody to pick up this book and know right away. So I reworked my whole first chapter. He's like, whether it's a foreword or what it is, tell them what your story is because people need to know this is why. Okay, this mm -hmm. is my, this is what he went through. This is why I need to read the book. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I love outside input. Love outside input. So, yeah, I um, will good say to know that you've done a couple of books. I'll say the editing phase made me made me abhor red ink till the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I take it deeply personal, even though like I know I need this service and I am appreciative mm. in the moment when I get back a manuscript and it's like littered and red ink. I'm just like, who created this? <laughs> like, what are you doing to my words? Right. Like I thought they're just going straight from my heart place, which they're not, but you know, like I just <laughs> just take it that way, you know. So yeah. it's nice yeah. to know that um you do have someone that's able to give you valuable input because it's needed. Like it makes it yeah. makes a difference. And so all the more reason for me to go get your book whenever you finish it. All right. Right. I don't know. May have to get you like an advanced copy to read, and then you can put some red ink in it too. And say, hey, I, I would not this. do that to you. I'll make it like purple or something. Oh, there you go. Purple works. Purple so, works. so how can my audience connect with you? How can they find you? Where on the internet can they go to reach out and learn more about you? Okay, so um, I have the website um, that you've looked at. So I have MichaelMariettespeaks.com. Mm -hmm. um, I am on. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have changed one life, which I think they allowed me to use that as my Facebook URL. Facebook's weird, you know, sometimes yeah. it's like, Hey, that's already been used. And then you're like, where I can't find any bear wise, you know, why can't mm -hmm. um, so, um, so I'm on there, um, uh, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. Nice. Um, I've shared actually the, the story um the blog post that's on the website with the cloud and all that mm -hmm. um that actually that was the first place i published that was on linkedin wow. and reached just a crazy amount of people i mean not like viral um but just had people uh and i ended up getting mentioned um in this you know 10 change maker um things on linkedin Wow. Um, yeah. With a couple of people that I'm like, hey, he's way cooler than I am. This guy's way more famous than I am. Um, so I got mentioned on that and that got me some followers. But it, I was just happy that people were reading that and taking it to heart. I got a lot of nice just messages and comments off of it. So um, so they can find me there just under my name. Um, I'm double checking. You know, because when you go to your, when you change your Facebook page, you're just like, you just log in. You don't look at your URL. So. Mm -mm, I'm ill. I'm ill prepared for this. Oh, that's perfectly fine because whatever info you give me, I will have available in the show that comments. That is not it. Yeah. So I'll find it here. 
Give me one second. Um, I'm also on Instagram, so I changed one life on Instagram. Because, Perfect. Um, I mean, because the bottom line is that's all I want to do. If I can make one person um, make a good decision, feel better about themselves, mm. um, make it through a tragedy, um, that's that's all I'm about. You know, I, I love I'm it. Clearly, you know, I'm not going to change the world. Um, yeah. You never know. I guess, but, um, but I just want to, I think it's more like I want to change people's lives one day at a time. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's actually, okay. I had to do it that way. There we go. Um, my, my Facebook uh, page for this is actually uh, facebook.com backslash Michael Muriette speaks. So just nice. like the website. So, and I think I have links. I think I have my social links on the website. Oh, that's awesome. And I'll include them on our podcast as well. And yeah, we'll definitely yeah. have to collaborate on something because I just, I love yes. your resilience. You're just embodying our, our season three right now. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm very humbled that you took the time to talk to me. Uh, I'm so grateful that my audience is able to to glean some, some insight and some awesome nuggets um, from you. Oh. So we definitely have to have you back in the future and probably to do some awesome more speaking engagements. I know that it's yeah. pandemic season, but you know, there's ways around that. I'm, I think I'm so w- yes. well-versed in zoom. I should have a degree in it by now. Like yeah. Other- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I would love to, that, that's actually really a goal of mine is to not only have the book, but to, you know, be, I guess, quote unquote, an in-demand speaker where I can just go in and, and tell people that they can do it. Heck yeah. And I know um, for Aisha and I, our our population is more um, military and faith based Mm -hmm. kind of geared. So, hey, if you're interested in the future, we'll be able to kind of tag you on some of those projects. We do have some people, uh, some past um, podcast guests that have been like very instrumental in those areas. So I would I would love to be a part of it. Absolutely love to be a part of it. You're awesome. It's been lovely to speak with you and we will have to have you on again in the future. Bye.